The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives, I claim to remember a different, very different present life. The psychotic drones, where the mystic swims, they're drowning. All right, Amanda Milius, thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to speaking with you. Hopefully, this is the first of many interviews. Now, yeah. we were, uh, yes, th so thank you for coming on. Now, I wanted to talk to you about a, a, few, a few ideas that you have put out there in various interviews and things. But before we get there, we should probably talk about some of the work you've done uh, on film. We were just discussing the John McAfee film, McAfee, which you haven't started promotion on. Uh, you said you hadn't even started the film. Yeah, we just optioned the material. So back when, if you want to <clears throat> compare it to like when we first started promoting Plot Against the President, it was almost nearly done. I was pretty close to being just done. Um, and then, you know, there, there just takes a handful of weeks and for most movies, months before distribution uh, is ready. But we did this, we did that movie really it differently, like really fast and really, um, uh, we, we did some crazy stuff on the distribution to get it out in time. So, uh, the, where we're at with that now is like, I don't, we didn't even announce that we had optioned the, the plot against the president a, because I hadn't made anything since my student film, I was just leaving the administration and we were trying to keep it as quiet as possible, obviously for a lot of reasons. So we didn't make a big fuss over it when we, uh, option the book. Um, but this time, for whatever reason, there's just been a ton of press about the McAfee thing, which is like we've said, can either be a doc or scripted. So we're probably going to do, we're looking to do both, but it, you know, it, it, it sort of depends on the other movies and everything else. So we're just getting that kind of going. Good. Yeah. I had read that it was going to be both. So that would be amazing. I don't see that done very often, at least not at the same time. So that would be a nice uh, a way to approach the story. Now, um, we'll save the details uh, for another time. But for now, I just want to ask, uh, you've sort of answered this elsewhere, but John McAfee is kind of like the prototypical uh, digital age pirate, really. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a few figures out there. Ross Ulbricht from The Silk Road, Kim.com from Mega Upload, John McAfee, and maybe a couple others that are like, even Elon Musk in a way, although he's a little bit more above board, uh, above yeah. the, uh, you know, um, he's a little bit more legit. Uh, so why did you pick John McAfee and what, what was it you were attracted to about him? You talked, you talked about him a lot in relation to your father, that same type of energy. Yeah. I mean, I think I get him in a way that a lot of the most of Hollywood is not going to understand him. Um, like they're going to do the same thing with him that they did with my dad, which is just try to make him into a clown, uh, in their various portrayals, even though, you know, I like some of the portrayals of my dad, um, in the movies, um, Walter being one of them because it's really accurate. But um, the, uh, the uh, yeah, so I think that he seems, he always seemed kind of like a character my dad would have concocted if he was writing, you know, if he was more in this generation, uh, you know, skipped a few, he, he, would, he would write some character like that. So I feel like I really get it. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, I met the writer on um, War Room with Steve Bannon, which was amazing. And it was actually Steve's idea. Steve was like, you should do that as your next movie. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I mean, it turned out, you know, it worked out really well. I mean, we definitely get along and I think have a similar vision. And um, so, you know, the idea is that the company is gonna be kind of churning these out, you know, as far as the documentaries go, we sort of keep them separate than the scripteds for deal making purposes. But we have about eight uh, on our slate that we're, you know, in the midst of fundraising on and uh, doing all of our sort of pre pro work. So that's kind of what we're doing now over in Alexandria. If I could ever stop traveling, <laughs> it'd be great. Yes, you are. You are quite the busy lady. Uh, 
for good reason. So what exactly uh, is AMDC Films? Is it, is it a studio? Is it a production company? Is it a little bit of both? Do you have your own writers? Uh, well, we we would have different writers on each piece. Uh, so the only group that's going to be the same throughout everything is the core production team. Um, and then since things will be going on simultaneously, obviously you hire other folks that you know to do work on each each movie um from like the director on down but like obviously if we like specific people we'll work with them over and over again um that's kind of the idea and to grow right and to like find all of these like i get hit up all the time by like um creatives that are either in la or in hollywood specifically or not and are just like so sick of they're like i just want to work on something i believe in like i hate the stuff that I'm working on it. Cause it, I remember what that's like. It's really like depressing. Everybody knows that everybody's been to a job where you're just doing the hours to get by. And you're not like, you don't, most people like a job is a job. You don't need to like love the thing that you're doing, but it sure helps. And I think on plot against the president, everybody that worked on it at some point said that it was like, you know, an honor to work on the project that was going to tell the truth about this issue being Russiagate. Uh, and uh, that was kind of the vibe that I was going for is to like, you know, find people who have a shared um, vision and uh, ideology, you know, and it's not purely ideology based, but like, you know, the idea is to work amongst your friends. That's the best situation. Yeah, this is great. You're totally anticipating exactly where I want to go with bringing up the studio. Because you said publicly that uh, film is bad now and everybody knows it. Everybody watched it happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's a big motivation for my entire podcast is like, why is culture shit now? Uh, yeah. main, mainstream culture, popular culture, because the era of the independent film was a great era and Hollywood was uh, involved in that. Um, but that era seems to be going away. And for what the last 10 12 years it seems like it seems like the independent film area era is just over um, well i, I don't mean know i you... always said like you know i like plenty of weird independent film i kind of grew up around the tail end of that when i was working at the video store and stuff and like was like a movie nerd and all uh, that. so you worked at a video store yeah. that is great to know which yeah. one was it was it a independent cinephile. one or it was called cinephile and it's okay. at it's in, uh, you know, it's it's by the same people, some of the people that did videos, which was sort of one of the more known, like weird uh, kind of art house video stores. It was next to the new art. So we would like go over there for midnight movies and stuff. So, I mean, I worked there when I was in high school uh, and um, and was really into all that. But the thing is, is that the independent movement, as far as like Hollywood goes, didn't really produce what they said they were going to produce. I mean, it was like this whole like 30 year run on like taking down the studio system. And so real artists could have access and real real artists could make movies that somehow they imagined the studio system was keeping out. But it turns out that there wasn't really that much of a promise to it. Like I can't, there's a lot of really great movies that came out of that period of time, but they're not great on the level that studio films were great. And I'm not saying to go back to the studio systems, obviously there was a lot of problems there too, but the pro I think we know now that like the promise of the independent film era of like the democratization of movie making was not as, it didn't really live up to that promise as much as it should have, I guess. What, when would you say? I'm, I'm thinking 70s and, and early 90s. Well, 70s had the best movies there yeah. were, but they were still being, yeah, I mean, yes, they were like, they weren't independent in the way that like the 90s in the, the sort of Miramax takeover was. It was totally. like, more of like um, you know, obviously like great things like Orion and uh, companies that, you know, saw their downfall through some of that stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, obviously the the '70s and early '80s movies from that era are really great. I mean, I count my dad in that in that era for sure. Um, uh, he and all his friends did their best work then. Yeah. So now, what do you? Where do you see it now? Do you think that there is good work being done in Hollywood, or it's being produced? And if so, which uh, which directors? 
I mean, because it's few and far between nowadays. I don't like. That's the problem. Is I mean, I don't even have time to like watch things that I might even like. I mean, I think that like I I sort of just from a distance appreciate the vibe of A twenty four as as a production company just based on the fact that they have a consistent you know feeling and theme even if obviously all their movies are quite different um i think that that's a cool uh model um but uh yeah them and obviously annapurna and uh there's a couple others that are putting out things that are cool um i mean the last movie that i really lost my mind over where i was like oh my god this is like the greatest now piece of art ever is spring breakers um so i don't you know it's been a minute um a24 is great though when i go to the movie theaters it's usually just to watch the latest like really big thing so that i can shit on it the next day on the radio (laughs) like it's uh and so i've i've got this i've gotten in this terrible uh like pattern of just going to terrible movies which i think i need to stop because it's depressing and actually go see some stuff that people are saying is good uh but you know there's good stuff on you know netflix and whatnot it's like they're not the best company in the whole world so uh you know my feelings about that are a little different but it's there's uh there's a lot of good stuff going on in series tv i mean i feel like when i left school that was pretty much what I thought was the best art being made. And I mean, my dad, to be fair, like actually participated in the tail end of, I mean, in the beginning of that with Rome, which I think was so ahead of its time and so good. Um, but, uh, you know, there's tons of good stuff on, on, on those type of, I mean, I hate to say it, but on HBO and that type of uh, network, it's really, that's kind of where the best quality stuff is. Yeah, that does seem to be the consensus, and it has been probably since The Sopranos. It's it's been a long time. Or Mad Men, or any of that. Yeah, Rome Rome was good though. Your father was like, and maybe we can at the end we can nerd out on him because this is like, uh-huh. I can't believe that I'm speaking to John Milius's daughter right now. And <laughs> you know, I was a child, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Like that is like one of the most life defining films of all time, which isn't even to mention Red Dawn and Apocalypse Now. Um, but no, let's I save agree. that. Conan was life-defining for us too. I mean, my brothers and I all explain it where we're like, we feel like we were raised more by the attitudes and sort of messages of that movie versus our dad's sort of actual behavior. And uh, there's a real difference because, because we'll, we're, we're, you know, our thing is we're always like, well, we're dumb enough to believe that this is like, uh, these are, these are like the real values that we believe in as a family. And then you're like, dad, this is very unconan of you. And he's like, I don't care. I just sold the sword. Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it probably takes a lot of energy to be Conan all the time. Uh, Listen, a, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the stuff you were just saying about the, uh, about the trajectory of the film industry goes back to um, the first, I mean, I knew who you were. I've known who you were for a little while now. But when you did the National Conservatism Conference, I believe that was in Orlando. Uh, and there, yeah. yeah, you got some press for that, some of it negative, but the negative press, the pe- these pe- <laughs> you you attract the the silliest, the most uh, ridiculous uh, people to attack you. I've, I, I can't believe this. Uh, so you were talking about the searchers and you were talking about uh, the confidence in our morality, how that was very strong and apparent in 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 Hollywood movies at, a, in at a that era. time. I mean, you could, you could use any movie you could, you could use, you know, uh, like some of the cats movies or, uh, um, or even, I mean, there was, there was, there was a lot of immigrants that came over around the best Hollywood era, you know, you could call it the American new wave, I guess, like, but they were escaping, um, a lot of the German filmmakers, the Impressionists that were escaping uh, between the First World and the Second World War, um, that set up shop in the United States, and they were so patriotic. They were, they were not anything like, like what we think of now as like the, the way Hollywood treats the immigrant director, where it's like they're basically not American. They're just like, look at this guy. He's from somewhere else. Like this is amazing. Um, whereas like these guys, um, were so patriotic because they were like, they were so happy to be in America. They were like, 
oh my God, I can make whatever I want. Like they were just like overjoyed and so patriotic at the idea of America. Um, you know, even in movies that critiqued the sort of metropolitan lifestyle, like the apartment um, and uh, things like that, they still had this very like American dream quality to them. Um, and that's that's just so gone now. It's like this, I don't, I don't even watch the Oscars unless, um, unless, unless I get a call two days before and Breitbart is like, are you going to do the post Oscars with us? And I'll be like, okay, fine. I'll watch the Oscars. But like, if otherwise I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Why would you? But yeah. They're so bad and they're so, but they're so, they're getting like psychedelically bad now. Like it's almost the point where like, like as with everything else, we're, we're so past the looking glass that you turn on the TV and you're like, I, this could just as easily be some kind of like, you know, dystopian nightmare or like bad trip that I'm on and just turn it on and be like, what the hell? <laughs> well, the talk, the talk you gave at that conference was amazing. And I want everyone listening to go listen to it because it's only about Thank 15 you. minutes long and it's very powerful and you do not pull any punches, nor would I expect you to being John <laughs> Malius's daughter. And you literally say that this is globalist filth, Yes, uh, which I was like cheering. And um, That's what people don't understand is that it's, it's Hollywood was almost like the test case for uh, China taking over the United States. It was the first industry because if it's an industry that's just the, I mean, has absolutely no morals. All it cares about is money. Money is the one thing that keeps it going. Like what? Like, I mean, obviously, it's most ind most industries, but certainly the film industry and. Um, you know, perfectly good people who I know and I remember from my childhood. I mean, that's the thing is this has been going on for so much longer than people recognize. Um, you know, my dad uh, walked out of a meeting with a bunch of Chinese uh, script readers and was like, I wouldn't even sit here for this kind of crap with Americans. Like, I'm what, not doing what that. year was that? I 80s? No, late nine, like mid okay. late nineties or something. If it was any, if I was there, uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, it was, but the, you know, and he was fighting with, he's, he's always fighting with the executives, right? Like, I mean, his, his whole thing was, he was very, um, um, what he didn't like about the post studio system world, which is funny considering he wrote every single one of his movies for a studio. Um, and then now like harasses me to somehow get them out of the studio and onto the screen. And I'm like, no, dude, they own that because remember you were being paid for your whole life. So you like wrote all those movies for Warner Brothers, like Warner Brothers owns them. Like I can't get, I can't, I, there's no, he like has this like thing where he imagines someone's going to like be able to like harvest one of his old scripts and like actually get it made. But I'm like, yeah, it's. I, and I, I fell into that, you know, my dad's a little bit like the president and that he's like, um, and I think big character men are like this, uh, the boss, you know, whoever yeah. it is, they sort of operate like either the sun or, you know, on a darker day, you could call it a black hole, but where everything is spinning around them and like everything, every you'll, you'll get sucked in. Like I got sucked in for like five years trying to make movies of his that, uh, that are on the shelf. And uh, I can tell you, it's basically impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I wanted to save him to the end, but you bring up a good sure, no, I, no, no, no. But you bring up a good qu a question I had. Uh, it says in the documentary about him that he was blacklisted and it's kind of well known that he was blacklisted. But they, I mean, yeah, but like was it for Red Dawn? That, because that's what the documentary yeah. says. Well, it would be for his whole career because you have to imagine this stuff was already building up. I mean, Pauline Kael writes about him endlessly and about how he's like the worst thing ever because he's just pure machismo and like it's like, uh, uh, I mean, like it's actually quite funny their interactions. If you find um, their, their interactions at parties, there's um, God, I'll I'll never do it justice. You should look it up. There's a good story about. Um, my dad and her ended up at the same party at like Paul Schrader's house. And, um, and my dad said, Oh, tell her to come over here. I want to talk to her. Like, um, like he, he wanted to talk to her. And so some emissary goes over into Pauline Kale and is like, Hey, John Milius wants to talk to you. And she apparently sent back the message, uh, only if he's not armed. Uh, typical and he Hollywood, had to, and he had to respond and he said, right? I'm not currently armed in the building, but uh, so uh, is she a critic? 
Yeah, she's a, a film, critic? film critic from yeah. that period of time that kind of, uh, you know, well, and so it wasn't just her, obviously. It's not one critic that's going to do it, but the, all of Hollywood, you have to understand his personality was also quite demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he, this has always been one of the mysteries of our family anyways. I mean, we've talked about this like a long time. My brothers and I were like, is was dad actually blacklisted or is he just like impossible to work with? Like, did he just get old enough to finally be so eccentric that like you couldn't possibly work with him? Cause I mean, he'll, we have the same problem. Like he'll do insane shit. Like I'm talking like Nero putting a horse in the Senate kind of crazy shit. Like give it, give us an example. Come on. Oh, you're like, <laughs> I, I, I finally got somebody to look at the, when I was coming out of film school, I was taking a lot of meetings for myself, uh, which were all awful. It was like, you know, you could apply for this female director grant and like you could you know do this it just everything was so like identity politics and it was just so uninteresting and yeah it just sucked that it was so it was easy for me to run away and join the trump administration uh i mean it wasn't easy but it was uh it's easy to look back on and see why i did that um but uh sorry so uh, there was some point where i was trying to help him I had, so I was taking a lot of meetings. And so obviously a lot of these meetings, like, let's be honest, they weren't like primarily interested in like my, uh, making my thesis into a two hour long movie, uh, watching, uh, Dasha Nekrasova and, uh, Lauren Avery, like tie their shoes for another two hours. Um, but actually that movie would have been really good. It's a really cool, like sci-fi weed Western, my first movie that, uh, yeah, we need to talk about that. Let's yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. It's actually really good. People are like watching it again. And I'm kind of like, usually I get so embarrassed if someone sees something old I do did that. I just feel like I have to throw up if I even think about the concept, but I'm starting to get a little more convinced that it was a bit ahead of its time. It it should have been a full movie or it it should be one now. It could be easily. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, but so, um, anyway, so I'm taking meetings and obviously these people aren't just there to hear from me. They're like, Hey, what's up with your dad's old scripts? Cause you know, my dad has almost at least 30 unmade movies. And so considering how sought after his voices as a, um, a writer and whatnot, like, um, people were really any, any, regardless of your politics, the idea of like a fresh John Millius script is a extremely valuable thing it's like a you know a ruby from conan like it's like you want that and and you know you'd get you'd work on it and be like okay you know there's this company wants to maybe do it and they know that the chain of titles complicated and they you know we have to first you see if the studio will even sell it to you because the studio it doesn't cost them anything to continue sitting on it right like at the same time it doesn't make them any money but if they're not financially driven, if they're ideologically driven, are they going to release? Are they going to sell you your dad's scripts back for one and a half or two million dollars, like just to get it off the shelf? Also, there's like that's a pretty hefty get it off the shelf price. Like most scripts, that's like that's like a that 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 is kind of unheard of because basically you're saying like I'm going to pay the highest uh, screenwriting. One, one of the highest screenwriting prices for something that's already been paid and that's owned by another studio. And it's a whole thing. So anyways, you'll go through all this mess and then somehow down the line, you'll find out that you're like, uh, that, that, you know, you're like, well, okay, we're, we're looking into all the paperwork, whatever. And you're like, wait, dad put his cross-eyed girlfriend on as a producer. And you're like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, this is a real thing. Like he's, he's claiming he's, she's taking meetings. Like, what do we do? Like, they're like, and you're like, dad, like, why is your cross-eyed like girlfriend who used to be a hooker on the producing? What, what are you doing? The dude? Berlusconi like, approach to filmmaking. I love it. Yeah. And of so course, John said, Milius oh, is the one really who did good. that. And you're like, no, dude, like, this is not, this is not a real thing. You can't do that. Like, oh man. Well, I want to ask you, uh, I mean, he, I, he's one step away from being like, yeah. And then I named my dog associate producer, and uh, I also just gave away, you know, a fifth of the rights to some guy at the shooting range, along with like one of my, and you're like, you can't, you can't deal with him. It's, it's yeah, it's a lot. Do you know of any of the un, unused scripts, uh, what the subject matter is? 
Yeah, I know all of them. Oh my gosh. Can you can you uh, treat us to at least one or two? Um, yeah, there's a Daniel Boone one that's fucking awesome that I actually remember helping him with some of the dialogue because I was like a little girl when he was writing it. And a lot of it is about the guy's relationship with his daughter, Rebecca. You know, he has to, I think Rebecca Boone, he has to like save from the Indians or something. Um, or no, that's his wife. His wife is Rebecca. I can't, I haven't looked into Daniel Boone in a long time, but uh, whatever. So Daniel Boone, there's, um, there's like a handful of another of other war movies that are about like particular generals or particular characters uh, that I won't go too into. Um, and then there's, um, you know, there's of course Genghis Khan, which is one of the only ones that's not exactly owned by a studio, but is um, extremely um, just caught in a, an extremely complex web of uh, effort that it would take to to release it <clears throat> to, to actually make it um not to mention it's a, would be an extremely expensive movie i mean it's basically his like magnum opus like it is it is sad that he won't live probably to see that come on screen um so it's one of these things with our dad it's like this sort of like dichotomy of like just being like yeah this really sucks like he deserves to have this like kind of amazing post career considering how like revered he is and how special he is and then at the same time it's like you don't really know like you know why why did why did he get booted out of hollywood like was he blacklisted or did he just keep trying to do weird shit that just drove everyone nuts like or you know was it a combination of both that's the thing is that like you give people and it's not right. I'm not saying Hollywood would be right in this, but I could see how you, one would give them enough reasons that they'd be like, all right, we're sick of this guy. Um, but that's kind of, you know, I'm similar to that. It's like, I'm not going to stop saying my politics out loud, uh, regardless of if I move sort of farther away from the political realm and farther into the movie making realm, um, which is sort of where I'm going, despite the fact that there's, you know, quite a few of the docs that we're doing are uh not exactly some of them are more politically leading than others uh but uh but yeah that's kind of my goal too and you know i uh uh it's yeah it's 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 something it's a question that sort of haunted our family for a long time like did was dad actually blacklisted or did he blacklist himself or what happened like you know, cause I've got a brother that won't talk to him. Like I have a brother that hasn't talked to my dad in like, you know, I don't know how many years I think it's stupid. Like, I think anything like that's just dumb. Like I'm always going to continue to have a relationship with him no matter what. But, um, you know, it's, uh, he's, he, he, he can be a difficult guy, but I mean, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, I could probably talk about John Milius forever, but for the sake of time, Let's move to your uh, first film. I, I just want to say oh, no I'm very, very happy to hear you say that uh, you're shifting away from politics and into film because I think you have a lot to offer, especially just the way you critiqued film. Um, and if we have time, I want to get in. I want to get into your critique from the National Conservatives and Conference. But before that, the Lotus God. What's that? Do you know, do you see the article that um, the Spectator ran? Uh, where, I saw the David Brooks article. Is that the same one? Uh, it? No, it's a different one. It's one. It's one that was by the Spectator, and it's sort of like um, meant to be. They, they always do these these days. They'll send somebody to a, a conference, and they'll act like they're sending. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, you know, Gonzo journalism. Oh, Hunter S. Thompson. They act like they're sending Hunter S. Thompson, and you're like this is not even very interesting like literally you can feel the writer who's clearly a nobody who's had no adventures and like not even led a life close to being able to emulate hunter thompson style they did this at cpac and i could feel this a little bit with the spectator article where they write about kind of like wandering through the crowd as though they're like separate from it and they're like you know a bunch of kids wearing red hats walked by and you're like no shit it was a conservative conference like what like you know, and they also are the kinds of people that don't even know what what parties happen. They don't even know like what if you were going to write about the bizarre social scene of a bunch of uh, 
national conservatives, you might want to get yourself invited to something, um, you know, besides the bar. But anyways, um, so this fellow writes, whatever, this, okay, only reason I, I'm bringing it up is because <laughs> this guy, so there's no pictures of me from the event. My talk is barely covered, of course, which I said would happen because it was going on literally at the same time as Michael Anton. And like, I don't know what human being would choose to listen to me over Michael Anton. I wouldn't even listen to me over Michael Anton, but. Um, <laughs> uh, if you could get him, I, yeah, I want him on the show. He's great. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happens is, so there's this hilarious article and it comes out and it's just a freaking picture of me in my stupid hat that I was, I was playing around with. Cause I went to Gucci the day before there was like an outlet or something nearby in Orlando. It's like really fantastic. And they had these like head scarves and I was like, this is so cool. I'm going to buy this. I'm wearing maroon tomorrow. And so like, I am wearing this completely goofball, like circus outfit. And um, the title of the piece is no sex, please. We're national conservatives. So I get to be the face of no sex, please. Oh like, my God. What the fuck, man. And then they're, and then they're like, Hey, can you write? I actually, I'm going to write something for them, but they're like, Hey, can you write something for us? Like based on this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys just put me as the face of no sex. Like what the fuck? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to read this article. Uh, I did read the David Brooks one and he has. Well, that's the other thing is I don't even appear in the article. I, it is just. the Oh, it's just, just the, the picture. Main, I mean, I think they might mention me like once where they're like Amanda was wearing a funny hat. And then like I'm walking, but they, like that's it. Like that's my own. my The only use for me in the article is to be the the photograph of no sex. I just the media I bastards. Love press is amazing. It's hilarious. But um, anyway, yeah, sorry. So on no, the okay. um, uh, Lotus Gun, the movie, the uh, the thesis the movie, it is available uh, in its entirety on yeah. YouTube and it's about 20 minutes long, a little less than 20 minutes long. It's 25 minutes long. Oh, OK. 25. It sorry. It doesn't feel like it because it's because uh, I actually am like well trained as a filmmaker and like I'm somehow capable of editing something so that it like flows and you want to know what happens next uh so quickly it what, like, it's like five minutes long what's the plot because i want to uh revive it's, this movie here it's basically um it's basically this sort of weird like, this is what i was going to do if i'd stayed in hollywood and not come full out as like the you know if the politics hadn't changed so much and the trump thing hadn't happened and all of this I would have just stuck around Hollywood sort of <clears throat> putting my ideas in movies like thinly veiled instead of making hitting everybody over the head with it. So the movie is a post-apocalyptic lesbian weed Western. So um, all of like the feminist magazines like loved it because they like watched it and they were like, oh, it's about misogyny. And you're like, well, or it's literally a critique of like the family living, living as like a, a family versus a, a communal existence. Like basically the theme of the movie is two different lifestyles. Like these two girls that sort of take care of themselves and are more like representative of the American idea of like, uh, you know, um, I've talked about this before, but where your allegiance is to to God, then to your family, then to your neighborhood, then to your city, then to your nation. Like it goes out like that. Um, so it was about that because then the, the bad guys are um, this uh, cult. And so like, anyway, you gotta, it's cool. It's basically like, and oh, and the whole thing is about this gun. There's no guns. And so this chick finds, you know, has buried mysteriously this sort of the last gun that's a relic. And, and the bad guys, um, the bad guy mainly collects uh, relics from the past civilization, which would be our civilization, right? It takes place in 2077. Um, so nobody can read uh, except for him. He somehow, but you can't tell if he's like lying about it or not. But anyway, no one can read. So they all roll their joints out of book paper. And um, like the whole, the whole point is, and yeah, I don't, I don't have any like point of view about weed. It's not about weed. Like it's literally just like this background thing. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the, um, when I had to move from state department to get detailed to the white house, they do this sort of secondary review on you um, beyond your like security clearance and all that. And um, 
they review like, you know, if you've said something terribly embarrassing on the internet or something like that, like they would embarrass the administration. I, I don't know how they let so many horrific people buy in that case, but whatever. Um, but one of these like RNC children, I'm assuming, had the task of going through and they screen grabbed every single picture, every frame of the movie that had a joint in it and circled it in red. And I know that that's every, almost every scene in the movie because the, the main character, one of her character traits is she always is either playing with a joint or smoking a joint or dropping a joint or whatever. Like she's constantly, that's her, one of her things. Like she always has one. So like it's meant to mimic sort of the, um, you know, the Clint Eastwood character and the good, the bad and the ugly. How he always has his little cigarillo or whatever, his little cigarette cigar thing. She always has this joint rolled out of paper. But some, some kid like thought that was worth uh, flagging. And I'm like, it's a movie, you moron. And it's a, it's a sci, it's not even a, it's a sci-fi movie. There's like a fake drug in it. Like, what are you worried about? Uh, sorry, hold on, I just burnt my carpet. <laughs> um, which, I keep, I have all these like other carpets around the smoking section that usually keeps all the disaster in one place, but it's now spreading. It's all right. It happens. It's a uh, fire. Anyway, maybe the character was somewhat modeled on, on yourself. She's a cigarillo smoking, uh, gun toting, <laughs> uh, post-apocalyptic cow, cowgirl. Mm -hmm. Really? Uh, yeah. The, the film is uh, it has a lot of Western elements to it. Uh, but also there's the, the scene at the end. The whole movie's great. Uh, but at the end, the cult is like taking Batura plants and they're, and yeah. they're all tripping out. And she comes. Like what was what were some of the inspirations behind that? It was like a Charles Manson cult type of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's very it's basically California 2077. I just tried to imagine what it would be like uh, with all these sort of like like the children of the current trendy hipsters. Like what God unforsaken shit would they yeah, it's be? It's like for? it's like Burning Man. The Burning yeah, Man. Yeah. So there's cult. like this. Yeah. This really messed up version of Burning Man at the end with the. Uh, also, I, you know, it's, it was my it was my thesis. So there was a lot of like lighting um, and cinematography. Yeah, it was well done. Games that I wanted to play. And the cinematographer I spent, you know, I mean, I, I found him. Uh, he went to AFI, went to a different school than I did. And I like harassed him until he agreed to do the movie because he's just that good. Like he's got it's very hard to find uh, DPs that have the same uh version of visualizing things that I do like pretty much most of the time because I used to be a photographer so it's like I have a very um picky I'm like very hands-on which I'm sure drives them insane but um <clears throat> but yeah I'm much pickier about cinematography than I am uh you know anything else like I because that's what I used to do so but I mean, if you're a director, you kind of have to know how to do any everything. I used to be an editor, too. I mean, I edited a poker television show for like, um, you know, months when I was just out of school. Uh, maybe it was actually just before film school I was editing that. But um, yeah, it's uh, you kind of have to know a little bit of everything. No, but apparently you have to know the Im immense amount of um, entertainment law to produce anything. So now I feel like I, I'm so versed in it, I could uh, teach a class. But that's one of the reasons why I want this company to exist because like, I, that's like my only gift, right? It's not even necessarily my filmmaking. It's the fact that I know how to make films properly and like not let them be hokey. I have taste. I don't, they're not gonna be your average conservative goofball um, like, I have, you know, the thing about conservatives, I say this all the time, is they're like, oh, I like this issue. I care about this issue. Thus, I should be able to make a good movie about this issue. And you're like, no other profession thinks that. Like, you don't, everybody thinks they can make movies because they go to the movies and they have opinions about movies, which is fine. You should go to the movies and have opinions about movies. But there's a reason that the film school exists. And it's not that I'm saying you have to go to film school to learn how to be a good filmmaker. <clears throat> But if not that, you should be buying every film theory, composition theory, um, editing theory. Like you, if you want to teach yourself film, there's a lot. There's a lot of work to do before you can just pick up a camera and be like, "Oh, I'm just going to start interviewing this guy and like whatever." 
that's this weird thing that only happens with movies. Like when you go to the dentist, you don't leave the dentist and then determine that you are now capable of drilling in some other person's teeth. Like it doesn't happen. It's the only industry where like people think if they buy it and partake in it, that they can do it. And I'm not, and that's not to discourage people. That's just to say like, this is something you'll agree with, which is this whole idea that happened of like the arts can't be judged like if you made it and it's creative, thus it is good. That comes from kindergarten, from when we were making macaroni like drawings and everybody's was the same. Everybody's was just as good as everybody else's. That's not true. Like they used to drive me nuts in art class, even in high school, because I'd be like, you know, the football team doesn't get, you know, everybody doesn't get rewarded if they don't do a good job. Like they they lose, they lose the game. Like, why am I like 10 million times better than anybody else in my senior art class? Why, why am I even being compared to these losers? Like, this is like, uh, this is, this is a joke. Um, so I, anyway, that, that's the thing is that the arts have always been this. And I think it's one of the reasons why conservatives do art less. I, as one of the things I'm always trying to figure out is like, why is, and I, and, you know, I have no other word to use besides conservatives, but assume that's a stand in for everybody on this side, like the right, if basically, like I've said before, the only line in the sand I even have anymore is like, do you want to put me and my family in a gulag or not? If it's or not, we're on the same side. I don't care. Um, but uh, anyways, the um, the reason I think that is, is because the arts have always been this thing where it's like somehow at some point in life, it became this like subjective thing. I think it's the postmodern era where it's like, yes, but who is to decide what is good art? And you're like, well, there's rules. Like this isn't nom, man. There are rules like <laughs> Oh, the big Lebowski quote. I love it. Well, I think the digital era has a lot to do with it, right? Because you have these people who are totally indoctrinated into this uh, uh, mammy nanny state where everybody is uh, doing their best and everybody's as good as everybody else. And they're also yeah. they come equipped with these phones. Uh, so they think that they can become models and photographers and filmmakers and all that. And it, uh, and I mean, and some of that's fine because some of that I like because it's taking all, it's taking the power away from Hollywood. Like I do have this weird thing where like I obviously like uh, the majority of things you see online are just like horrendous and terrible. But there's also this whole community that's there's also like this good democratization of it where it's like Hollywood's not in control of who is a star anymore. So like some girl from Kentucky can do a TikTok dance. And she is now sought out by all the top agents and they're trying to figure out how to monetize her and da da da, da. Like there's, it's, it's, it's thrown this weird monkey wrench into the, um, into the sort of Hollywood churn machine of, of who, who is, who should be an actress? It, who should be involved? Yeah, it's happening to all the arts. And that's the whole point of this podcast. That's, that's why I started this was to get the people on who are putting the good content out, these self-published authors, uh, some of whom are our mutual friends, uh, yeah. the, some, you know, bloggers, Twitter people, uh, someone like you, though, you were one of the main uh, people I wanted to get on the show because you are the perfect example of someone who's able to, because of who you are and because of the resources you have and also the vision you have and the training that you have, you're able to cut through all the bullshit uh, and get something real made. Uh, it's not just that I, you know how to yeah. do it. Like it's, let's see, right? Let's, let's hope that uh, I can, I can do the magic trick again a few times. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, I, that was kind of the realization that I had. I mean, my friends basically forced me to have the realization where they were like, you know, uh, I, I was convinced I should stay in government and, and not do the movie. And then I, everything I was doing in government was so important that I should stay there. And I had to be like very blank, flatly told by one friend, um, it's not it's not that important. Like, go make the movie. It's much more important. And I was like, I yeah, agree. Right. I agree. And, there's, uh, a, there's a cultural renaissance taking place right now yeah. that is really underneath the surface. And uh, you you have the position and the, the skill to be at the forefront of it. That well, let's see. I mean, I think uh, hopefully this I'm I'm really excited about this next slot, you know, slate of eight docs that we've got. And 
that doesn't even cover the the scripteds, which, like I said, are on the side uh, because you know the deals one has to make with those are so complicated. But um, you know, I think um, the idea is not to you know grift, right? Like I I don't I don't need twelve million dollars to make one documentary. Like I I could do that. Anybody could do that. But like I I don't. I go back to the the way that I was taught in producing school, which is that the budget is not necessarily, um, you know, the budget is not just what you want to spend on the movie. The budget is how much can it make uh, and how quickly. And so like, I, it's this weird thing that a lot of conservatives or a lot of right-wing um, filmmakers aren't dealing with, which is making films that are profitable also because we have to create an industry it can't just be an arts fest it has to be a um a competitive industry um so i think that's uh that's that's one of the other things that i'm really you know that's why it's a production company and not just yeah you know me and my films like but, i it's not just about me i hope i'm right about this but i'm getting the impression that people are really hungry for for real content and that uh yeah. if you're able to you know deliver it the right way uh people go crazy for it we're gonna have to uh draw to a close here so let me i want to there's a couple things i, I want to get out of the way rapid fire here you got to come back i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on okay, the spot I, right I now yeah back. i know you're I'll you're busy so back. whatever you can fit it no, in no, no. I'm here um, for the anons. I gotta I come back. Strongly encourage you to to keep uh, not only you know making your own films, but have your production studio uh, you know put out the docs and the content. The uh, excuse me, the uh, yeah, the the fiction. Uh, but I wanted to ask you so bad. I've been. This has been the burning question. In the National Conservatism Conference, you say your second favorite movie is Alien, the Ridley Scott movie. It changes. So sometimes it's alien. Sometimes it's the long goodbye. Because when people ask, like, what's your favorite movie? You're like, OK, well, on some days, like, it's pretty permanently like the top movie is usually the uh, Gone with the Wind. Was that your number sometimes, one? Yeah, that, that's usually number that's one. That's what I wanted to ask you. But then sometimes it varies and uh, the long goodbye will be number one and the Wind and the Lion will be number. I mean, uh, that's my dad's movie. Uh, yeah. Gone with the Wind will be number two. But like. Alien is always top five, like wherever it lands, Alien is always in their top five. And I have weird personal reasons for that in addition to the fact that I just think it's a great movie, but also because to me, it is like the ultimate of what movies should be, which is where, I mean, really 2001 is- The best kind of, movie of all time, sorry. Well, it's, it's really great, but it's like, it's like, I see it sort of in the same way where I'm like, okay, so it's a space art movie. Like that's the only way to comprehend space. It's a very like Malick-esque type thing, although obviously Alien's quite different than that. But the um, the thing about Alien that that really gets to me is that, so when I was a kid, Ron Cobb was the um, art director of Alien. He passed away recently. He's this Australian guy. Um, but he was also my dad's art director for like almost everything, definitely for Conan most notably. And so we had these paintings in my house when I was a child that before my parents, uh, you know, sold them or moved them around or whatever it was. And we had these Ron Cobb, like giant paintings. And I mean, me as like a baby, like they seemed like huge. And so I was like always looking at these Ron Cobb paintings. And then when I saw Alien for the first time, which is so heavily drenched in his style, um, and his art, I was like, it felt like I was watching a dream that I had already had, like the familiarity and the nostalgia that it created. It's so for me, it's probably more personal than uh, most would find Alien, but it is also an incredibly, it is a, it's a, it's a great movie because it's like, it's a huge, it's, it's this thing where a lot of people come after me when I like make fun of the movies that are around now. And I say that they're like globalist you know, crap. They're like anti-specific, non, they're just awful. People are just like, well, sometimes people like to watch big, dumb movies. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. I like to watch big, dumb movies. Like I'm like, I, I'm a huge blockbuster, uh, you know, summertime, big American movie fan. We don't have that anymore. That's like, that's like not, that's, I'm not talking like art house for everything. You know what I mean? I'm certainly not sitting here being like, oh yeah, everything that's good should be some fucking, wanky wank thing from like you know 
the movie theater next to my uh, video store. I am perfectly into big movies, but they're bad. They're not like they used big to be. Big movies used to be good and they're not anymore. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, I have as much time as you do, but if this has to be the last question. Um... I mean, they're going to kill me, but uh, let's see. How badly are they going to kill me? Eh, we could probably make it. All right. Last question for now, then. Um, right. but you we'll, do, we'll do another one, even, yeah. especially if it's just audio and I can do it from my phone. I could yeah. do it on the road because oh, that'd be awesome next week, but not. But we'll we'll figure out another one. But yeah, because, yeah, film is is a major, major uh, part of this show. So we have I'll be talking about it the whole time the show exists. The last question I have real quick, um, you can even just give a yes or no. But uh, I was talking about the the. the dilution of culture as a result of what you were saying that where where in art everybody's a star and everybody's just as good as well as the de democratization of it through the internet which is uh does produce gems like we said but i feel like for the most part it's garbage that should totally. be thrown out yeah but the third factor i think is woke politics and woke yeah. ideology and that's actually that's the thing that kind of pushed me into the sphere that i milieu that I operate in that had well, that I was stumbled the nail. across you online. That was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. I mean, they've been going down for a long time, but then once they finally actually were like, you can't have any characters unless they're all uh, BIPOC trannies. Um, people were just like, I, I don't know. Right. And, and everything yeah. seems like it has to have, sorry to interrupt. Everything seems like it has to have a heavy handed message yeah. that fits like one of like only three uh, uh, agreed upon ideology. Slavery was bad. Uh, uh, well, I don't even want to say yeah, because it'll whole... like put a target on my show to even say I disagree, you know, or or, or uh, not that I disagree that slavery was bad, right. but some of the other messages, though, like like uh, communism is good. <laughs> well, no, and I mean, one of the things that like, look, I'm one of these people. I use this as a test case. Um, one of these people, one of these one of these things that like, for example, I, I've said many times to the chagrin of like most of my uh, like I, I piss off like half my followers like once a day. But um, I have uh, a lot of right wing gay friends. Like if it weren't for the right wing gays, I would have no friends at all. So. I'm like super pro. I am not one of them. Let's very, make like, that clear. They have very, uh, on, on the whole, have always been my sort of cohort group of friends. And um, mostly because nobody's a, a better critique of culture in a wittier or a, a cutting way than a, uh, you know, a pissed off homo leaving a movie theater he doesn't like. So I, I love them. But um, the, uh, the one thing I'll say that when you say, how does, you know, why does this culture stuff matter and all of that, the one thing you can look at is that like in Obama's second term, when he was running for a second term, it was not culturally possible yet for a president to come out as saying I'm pro-gay marriage. And then we go from that period of time to Trump, the Republican candidate. And now Trump is different because Trump's, I, I think, correct on this. And it's just like, who the fuck cares? And is, uh, you know, concerned with bigger problems like not having World War III and whatnot. So he's the first president that ran as a pro-gay marriage president. Again, an issue that I feel complicated about, um, but is something that that's pol politics didn't do that the change in american acceptable what was acceptable and what was demanded by the american public on any side um had changed that much in about three years that's something that can only be done with television movies and things like that again not to say anything about that particular issue but as we know that issue is then shoehorned into 10 other issues that are you know, that's how you end up with, um, I mean, I'm not saying it's a, like, like I said, my opinion on the, that issue is rather uh, complex, but, um, you know, on the whole, I, I, I don't, I don't really care much about that issue, but the, the fact that it was able, that's a, that's, that's sort of an example I point to um, of how quickly culture changes hearts and minds more, more so than politics does. That's a good way to put it, but I think a, a, 
a, a good way to encapsulate the whole like uh, perspective of woke politics and, and you know, leftist woke movie making and television uh, with the LGBTQ and the feminism. Uh, you can definitely find things in both of those that are redeemable for sure. But right, altogether, yeah. it's an anti-family. It's an anti-family yeah. message, which you exactly. talked about a lot in your talk about film is that it's uh, the whole uh, anti-suburbs, uh, Edward Scissorhands, anti-family. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's what it is. I mean, that's that is it's totally part of what the problem is. I mean, and, it, yeah. it also ahead, ruined women's lives. I mean, like, look, I go on about all of that forever. And um, the other thing, when I said the slavery is a bad thing, of course, slavery is bad. I, I felt like the way I said that's going to come across wrong. But what I mean is edit it out. during the the no, because I, my point goes back to exactly what you were saying about the searchers, because when the searchers right. was being made, it was when we were confident in ourselves. So we were telling stories about ourselves from the past where we were heroic. Now yes. we've like fallen into this everything nihilism. was the opposite that's exactly 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 Every, now it's like they have to turn everything on its head America, exactly everything that you thought was good is bad it's all that's the whole point of it that's that was my main point is that like we don't even remember the difference between uh, our films which are the culture's mythology being pro us what exactly happens to a society when instead of reading the iliad about itself it reads, uh, you know, um, one of those woke books that just came out about how horrible the United States is. Like, it's like, it's- I can't it's remember this, the book's name, but Ibram X. Kendi's book. Right, like your people are being read that instead Anti of- Anti-racism, like, I think. Right, so you're, you're, it's an extremely bad sign. And it's like, it's like an emergency bad sign, but um, you know, only only so many of us actually see it and can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there. Okay, real last question for real. Is the Lotus Gun a feminist film? And if so, can does it have a feminist message? And if so, can you redeem that term at least in in isolation? No, it doesn't. Because it seems like it could be. It, it's about people. So the whole point of it. So you know what the best female character is? One of the best is Ripley in Alien. You know yeah, why? Of course. Because it was written as a guy. And they never changed anything about it because it's just about people. So what I was doing there is I didn't know that, um, actually. Yeah, it's just, you know, a, a person. That's why she's not annoying. Um, but so I wrote the characters as if they could be played by, a, you know, <clears throat> guys or girls. And then I also specifically had them. Well, A, I fell in love with both the actresses. Like when I met them, I was like, just like, holy shit, they're amazing especially Dasha, which I'm so lucky that I, my first movie really and her first movie are the same, which is hilarious. Um, but the um, but the fact that they sort of look almost alike, but that their personas are so strong that you could never not tell them apart, like that that was a sort of little like directing slash acting game I was playing with myself where I was like, you could, you're going to have two blonde chicks that look quite similar, but their their behavior and attitude towards life are so fundamentally different and this is one of the things i learned you know building characters um uh at usc one of the original questions that i always like to that says that to me tells you what a character is going to do in all kinds of situations and that is does the person think the universe is a genuine is a generally good place or a generally bad place and so does the person look on the world with curiosity or with suspicion? And so you have two completely diametrically opposed characters living in this one situation and then, you know, seeing what happens when the third is brought in and all of that was kind of the idea. Well, that's excellent. When we uh, promote this episode, we'll promote the show, the movie, too. I want people it's so to funny. It's still, I mean, PBS bought it. I Who knows? Oh, did they? leave it up yeah so oh yeah it is it's, it's on, on the pbs uh, youtube page actually yeah, it's on film school shorts yeah so, all right so you know, it's, it's it's up there as long as they have it up there because the i i the thing about politics is i am political and i have beliefs but the thing is is i feel subjected to them i feel subjected to politics art right. and creativity is what i'm really interested in so amanda millius the you know the this uh uh, Hollywood princess here is like famous for, for her politics. And I want to be like, yeah, but she's also a really awesome filmmaker. Like, Thank you. so I'm glad to have you on uh, and I'm glad to have you back. And, and just, I can't, 
possibly thank you enough for doing well, this. Well, thank you for doing this. We're going to do, we'll do a longer one next. Okay, time, good. Good. Well, we'll keep in touch and you're, yes, I've been talking obviously. to your people and uh, we'll figure something out and we'll just nerd out. You can go, we can talk about alien for twice as long as we already have and, and can, anything we else. Can, we can do like a live viewing of it. That would be amazing. That'd That's be a fun. really good idea. Yeah. Do you know, Actually, how, yeah, let's, let's figure out a way to do that. We can oh yeah. No, you know, I've had some other people approach me. They want to do that on other things. Yeah. So that maybe that could be like a, a, a mini series that I do. I think it'd be super fun. Yeah. That's an awesome yeah. idea. Totally okay. Fun. Thank you so much. I'm going to sign off. Okay. And, uh, thank you. I'll right. talk to you soon. Okay. All right. We'll be in touch. Have a great okay. day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Dun, 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 dun.